Welcome to Man Up, the podcast by men, about men, and for men who want to be better fathers, husbands, leaders, and followers of Jesus. Today's topic, Fatherhood 101. Are you ready? Man up. Yes, sir! Welcome, welcome, my friends. I'm your host, Jared Bowman, and this is Man Up, your podcast with all the encouragement that you need to be a better father, husband, leader, and follower of Jesus. We're a band of brothers, we're soldiers in arms, we're comrades, and we fight side by side, shoulder to shoulder, hand over hand, and mile after mile until each has helped the others attain the high calling of Jesus. And today, we are rejoined by a very good friend of mine, David Osteen is here with us, and David is helping me out. I have had so many irons in the fire with Biblically Speaking and Man Up, I completely forgot to send somebody their notes for an episode, and they needed a couple of more days to prepare. So I called David yesterday and said, hey, David, I've been wanting to have you on an episode about Fatherhood 101, things that we've learned as dads, and I wanted to do it about a month from now, but how do you feel about tomorrow? And David, what'd you say? I said, sure, let's do it, man. <laughs> Followed by how much you're going to pay me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, David's a good friend. I appreciate you being here, buddy, and I know the work at O'Connor Road in San Antonio is going wonderfully. and. I guess you guys are sort of looking forward to school being out and a lot of visitors coming through in the next few days. Yeah. The next few months, we usually get some, you know, over the summer months of people traveling, taking vacation and always, always thankful, you know, get to meet new people, mm -hmm. get to see people who have visited before. And it's just every Sunday, every Sunday is a family reunion, you know, and some same faces, some Sundays and some different ones, different Sundays, but always a joy and a blessing to be together just as God designed it. So, you know, I bring that up because that those are the times when I really think about what it means to be a dad. Those kind of family moments. You see families coming through on vacation. Maybe they're maybe they're driving through, you know, going east towards, you know, Houston or Dallas or Beaumont or something like that. And they're driving in from the far west, Texas or New Mexico, and they're on the way to grandma's house. And that's really what I want to talk about today is is the lessons that we've learned as fathers that really make us families. The father has a lot of responsibility placed on him for the godliness and the instruction of the people that are in his home. Absolutely. It's it's not just the dad's role to, you know, provide the bacon, as they say, but it is leadership in every capacity. In our culture, I guess, in our society in America in this day and age, uh, seems to be lost a little bit, or maybe a lot, you could say. There's a very, <laughs> the irony being there's a very toxic movement that talks about toxic masculinity. And while certainly there are men who do not behave properly and appropriately, as has been the case since the beginning of time, that's not everybody. Right. Right. And the virtues that God expects men to exhibit in leadership and in the home in particular are not toxic virtues. When you talk about leading, when you talk about providing, working hard, right, providing, 
being a protector for your household, being a leader mentally, providing mental growth, encouragement, strength, right? Uplifting, being a safe place for your kids to go to mentally, spiritually, not just physically, right? All these things are things that God has designed within the family unit. And none of that is toxic. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. Yeah. It's what builds families up. It's what builds strong girls into women and strong boys into men, right? Who will be productive, helpful, uh, sacrificial servants in society around us. And so, you know, if we if we trust in God, trust in his ways and see the good and the blessing that comes from it, everybody would be a lot better off. Well, I think that's an important point, and I'm glad that you started there. When you look at how the idea of masculinity in our culture became toxic, if you really look at biblical masculinity, it's some very important lessons. It, biblical masculinity is Paul telling Timothy that the man that doesn't care for his own is worse than an infidel, that if you're not out there taking care of your family, yeah. then, then you're you're worse than an unbeliever, that it is Paul telling the Ephesians not to provoke their children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition, or some of your your translations may use the words care and instruction of the Lord, that you have a very similar verse in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says, don't exasperate your children. There is nothing toxic about the masculinity of the Bible. That Has masculinity been corrupted by our culture? Absolutely. But I would say it is just as toxic to say that masculinity needs to go away as it is the as is the corrupted version of masculinity that's that's sort of the straw man that's being railed against by our society. And when you look at what God wants men to be, particularly in their roles, in the role of being the father, what he's really asking them to do, and, and Jesus illustrates this in Matthew 7, is he's asking us to imitate him. I think it's it's telling that when Jesus begins to talk about God as the Father in the New Testament, I mean, there are some Old Testament examples of God looking at his people like a father does his children, but that really gets deepened by Jesus. And you think about that in Matthew 7 when he says, you know, you're a father and your ways are not right, you're wicked, but you know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, what do you think about your heavenly father? Doesn't he know how to give good things to you? And he's from that urging them that when they see these divergent paths, the the way that leads to life that's narrow and few go in by it, and the way that leads to destruction that's wide and many go in by it, he's, he's urging them because God is a good father to take that narrow way. And you see... You know, a similar sort of example in Hebrews 12, when when uh, Paul, <laughs> when the Hebrew writer, may or may not be Paul, when the Hebrew writer says that our fathers disciplined us as seemed best to them for a time, he's encouraging us to consider that the discipline of the heavenly father is always the discipline that we need. So we stop and we think about that, and we think that father is the name God chose for himself for us to relate to him. How does that deepen our perspective of what biblical masculinity should be and how do we exercise it? Well, God uses these analogies, these words to, to communicate principles to us. I mean, God's so much higher than us, sure. but the, the, you know, it's part of the reason he set everything up the way that he set it up, right? As far as what we learn in the families 
ultimately spiritually teaches us about our relationship in his family, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we learn as fathers is supposed to help us understand God the Father better, Mm -hmm. right? And what we learn as children is supposed to help us understand us as the children of God better. And, you know, even the family unit of brother and sister is supposed to teach us how we're supposed to treat one another and act towards one another within the spiritual body of Christ. And so, you know, number one, just the the terminology God uses, like you said, using father and husband, and then, you know, as us individually, brothers and sisters, brethren, and then also showing the design of that in the family is all meant to communicate to us how these relationships are supposed to be, how they're supposed to look, the benefit that they're supposed to bring, the blessing that comes with it when it's done right, mm-hmm. right? When it's done as designed rather than trying to change it up or alter it or switch the roles or, you know, switch the responsibilities. And that's not just husband, wife, that's parent, children as well. Sometimes parents are trying to put parental responsibilities on children, or sometimes children are trying to take for themselves parental responsibilities, right? And it, it, it disrupts the order and things get messy real quick. And there's a lot of problems because of that. And so just understanding, you know, God set this up in this way for a reason. There's design in it. There's purpose in it. And if we trust that, then everybody's going to be better off. And when we don't trust that and we try to change it, alter it in some way, that's when we begin to see problems arise in, in the home. And then as that spreads out, of course, into society as well, society at large. Before I ask this next question, I want you to tell the audience a little bit about your family. I want, I want you guys to hear where David comes from. How many kids do you have and, and how separated are they? We have three kids uh, and three dogs. And so... The kids are all separated in ages of being five years apart, and actually, so are the dogs. So, <laughs> so each, each kid got a dog uh, or vice versa? Each, each kid got a dog, right? <clears throat> Not when they were born, but when they were each about five years old. But yeah, so I have three kids. My oldest is 18, my son Joshua, and then I have two daughters, Melanie and Kadri. And uh, Melanie's 13, and Kadri's going to be eight in July. And so all very different as you, you know, as most people expect in a household, multiple children, all very different, all very unique in their own ways, but all a special joy in their own way because of that as well. My two oldest are are Christians and my seven-year-old tells me she wants to be baptized, but we're still talking about that. And so my wife, Adriana, I met years ago when we both worked at Chick-fil-A together. She's actually from Argentina. And so that's we probably take a whole other podcast talking about that. But her mother, my mother-in-law, Delia, also lives with us. And much to the much to the joy of my family, unlike what's portrayed a lot of times in jokes in the media and that sort of thing, my mother-in-law in the house has been absolutely fabulous. In fact, I love having her around to help defend me against my children sometimes. <laughs> Well, and here's why I wanted to ask you that question. I want the audience to understand that when David is talking about children, I realize you know, I've, I've got one boy. He he's he's Kadri's age. I mean, well, he's eight and he's halfway to nine. But I mean, mm. they're might as well be the same age. That yeah. But you have seen 
it's kind of like a Sinatra song. You've seen life from the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs that, that, I mean, you, you've had boys, you've had girls, you've had them preteen when they thought you hung the moon. You probably had those early teens when they thought you didn't know what the moon was. Now you're contemplating launching one out into the world and, and hoping he's ready for what's in front of him. You have a fresh perspective on fatherhood in literally all its stages. In fact, the only thing you don't have right this moment, unless you and your wife have something you want to share with the audience, is a toddler. So, Well, now that you mention it, no, no, no. no, no She's going to no hit you when, you hear, when she hears this episode. Yeah, yeah. So David has a really clear understanding, and this is why I wanted him on this episode, of fatherhood in all its stages. And so before we get into the first question that I sent you on the sheet, I want to ask a question. We're all the best dads in the world before we have kids, right? We, we know all the answers. We know I'm not going to do what my dad did, or I'm going to do exactly what my dad did, depending on what your relationship is with your father and, mm-hmm. and what, what particular thing you might be talking about. We all have it figured out. What were some mm-hmm. of the things that you didn't have quite as figured out as maybe you thought you did before you had kids? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I grew up in an environment of, you know, a lot of people say growing up in the church. I, I'm not a super fan of that phrase. I prefer more like growing up in the Bible. The The idea that I was going to a church from the time I was born, a church that taught the Bible, and parents who were wholly devoted to that and, and teaching that and instilling that truth of God within their children, I was learning from a young age, from the book of Proverbs, what it meant to be a parent who disciplines and loves and instructs and trains and all those wonderful things. Mm -hmm. But what sort of clicked for me, I guess, and it was really just a few years ago, maybe, was, you know, in school, they have, they have uh, theoretical physics, right? That's one class. And then there's another class called (laughs) applied Applied physics, physics, right? Yeah. Applied physics. And just because you do good in one doesn't necessarily mean you'll do good at the other, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, but just thinking about that, you know, there's the same thing like applied math and applied this and applied that with different subjects in school. And I really got to thinking about that religiously because there are so many times where personally and looking or observing others, you see that, man, they know they have the answers. Like if we were doing the, the, the theory of life and the theory of parenting, they would ace all those tests, mm-hmm. right? But if we're doing the applied parenting and the applied how to be a spouse, they're not knocking that one out of the park, right. you know, and I'm not, not necessarily saying they would fail, but they're not getting a hundred. Right. And most of us aren't right. Myself included. And so the, I think one of the biggest surprises for me personally was the, the concept of going from theory to application. Right. And how difficult that can be. It can be a lot more challenging than you think it is. Just like just like in school where you may think, well, hey, I, you know, this was easy over here. So, it'll, you know, the applied class will be just as easy. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. Right. And I could tell you when it comes to parenting, when it comes to being the spouse, you need to be. It's, that's very much the case, that it can be a much bigger challenge than you think it is. And the more arrogance you are about it the more difficult it absolutely is going to be, right? Well, before you walk in the shoes of being a father, it is really easy to judge the behavior of of kids. I I was the world's best father before Will came into the world. I could tell you 
why people's kids were doing what they were doing. I could see the inconsistencies in their discipline. I could see all of mm-hmm. the issues. I could mm-hmm. I could look at the temper tantrums being thrown, and I would say those words that every parent comes to eat. My kid won't ever do that. You are acing theoretical parenting. That's right. You, you're, you're acing But it. there is one very important factor in parenting when you go from theory to applied. And I love that example, by the way. When you go from theoretical parenting to applied parenting is you have yes. not calculated the personality and temperament of that wonderful little blessing from God and how it's going to affect your personality and temperament. And what you find out is that having kids is a humbling experience. If it's not, you're doing something wrong. You're doing it wrong, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think about on a regular basis that, you know, sometimes Will will wake up really super early in the morning and, you know, the house is kind of creaky and dark and scary. And so he'll run down the hallway and jump in our bed and, He'll curl up and go to sleep, and I'll wake up in the morning, and there's Will. And I th- and I had the same thought. I think, God, why did you trust me with this? Mm. He is so innocent and so trusting and so completely devoid of guile at this point in his life. It may not always be. Yeah. That you just look at it and you go, I do not want to mess this up. And yet, you know, because we are fallible, in some ways, we are always messing up our children because we are not the perfect image of God that we should be. Even when we're doing the best that we can, we're not the perfect image of God. And I think the lesson that I really learned is leading children is not so much about fixing their behavior so that it's always perfect. It is, in a lot of ways, modeling to them your own imperfections so that they can see you trusting God so that that's the real lesson that they learn. Just going back to the illustration of of theoretical parenting versus applied parenting, and, and not to go too heavy on science terminology and this and that. I don't want to bore people with that, but but we all understand the concept of variables. Yeah. And, and when you talk, about earlier saying, you know, I'm going to do what my dad did. Well, okay, that's great, but your kid may not be like you, mm-hmm. right? So, so there's the whole variable of there's another human being involved. And you here. weren't your dad. And yeah, and and with that comes a comes an incredible number of variables, mm-hmm. right? And, and that greatest variable being variable being free will, which God has put within all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And it's why. It's why God is our father, even though God is a, a perfect father unto us, as far as providing instruction and discipline and, and training and opportunity, we're not all perfect. Yep. It's not because God isn't perfect. It's because of the variable of free will, mm-hmm. right? It's humbling to take into account that variable, right? Yeah. The variable of free will and understand this is a different person. This person is molded not just by me molded by mom as well. If they have siblings, it's going to be molded by siblings. It's going to be molded by, you know, maybe there's a grandparent living in the home, right? Like in our case, you know, going to be molded by them as well. So there's, there's multiple areas of influence coming into play here, variables of influence. And, and so uh, when we think to ourselves, we have it all figured out, Mm -hmm. 
we have to understand that that is logically impossible right because there's too many variables that that we can never take into account and never account for until we're presented with those situations. We know we can never see it ahead of time. Like God could see those things ahead of time, that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, you have to be very humble about it and, and not saying that, you know, all the answers, but that you are committed in love enough to pursue them. You made an excellent point. It's kind of like the idea of the fractal, you know, another, we're going to geek people out here and they're going to switch off, but it's like the idea of a fractal. (laughs) I remember when, when I started a career in technology years ago, before I, I took up preaching that it was really interesting. People were just really getting computers that could sort of calculate fractals that, you know, you would place an Mm -hmm. insertion point here and it would calculate all the different variables that the the crack could branch out and it would create art. And it was really neat. But every one of those points that you mentioned, the friends that they have, the school that they go to, the classes that they choose, the, whether they're interested in sports or science fiction and the friends that that might lead them into the influence of grandparents, the influence of people at church, all of those are points where a child's life is going to intersect and that fundamentally alters their free will in uncalculable number of potential directions. And really parenting is, and I used this analogy this past Sunday in a lesson, uh, wasn't talking about parenting, but just talking about living life is really sort of an exercise in keeping our children between the ditches that you have you have good influences and you have bad influences and you're trying to emphasize the good influences and combat the bad influences without killing their self-esteem in the process. So you're always in the middle of trying to see an infinite number of possibilities that you're not going to see perfectly in the theoretical world you can see perfectly. And in the middle of it all, you have their responses to your efforts to try to exercise that level of control to bring them to godliness. And I think that's probably been the most humbling lesson as a father is that I can try to do everything that seems right to me, but it's still going to depend on my son and to some degree the trust that I've tried to build with him. His salvation, his the course his life is going to take is going to depend on him. All right, so let's get into the questions on the sheet here, brother. We talked about fatherhood is imitating God and and realizing our own fallibility, our own weakness, our own humility. How has being a father changed your relationship to Jesus? I think very profoundly from the sense of perspective. I mean, perspective whenever you're a young person, it's not a, it's not a fault of being a young person. You just don't have life experience, right? I mean, you're you're naive, not in a negative way, just in a very practical way. And yeah, I didn't become a father till I was 25 years old. So I was preaching when I was 20 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really impressed me, I guess, how how much it sort of opened up my view to my relationship to God after I had uh, my son, Joshua. Yeah. Like before, <laughs> kind of goes back to the uh, theoretical verse of Pi, you know, but before, before I had Josh, I could talk about things on an intellectual level, 
regarding fatherhood and our relationship to God as a child, and that sort of thing. But then after you have a child and you are a father, it is from an experiential level, right? right. Not just an intellectual level. It's just a little bit deeper, right? Right. I do want to be make it very clear that you know, you never have to be married or have kids to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because sure. you have the truth of God's word, right? And so it didn't really change from that perspective. It didn't change from a, well, now, you know, the the mystery of Proverbs is revealed. You know, that's not the case. The, the truth was there all along. But me personally, it may hit me a little bit different way or it might hit me in a deeper way yeah. because uh, now I feel it from an experience level that I've been through. Uh, with my son or, you know, my daughters. I would say it helped me emotionally connect with God a little bit better when I experienced being a father and then saw things from God's perspective as a father. Yeah. I think I have a similar thought. I think I understand God's discipline better. I I think I understand why he disciplines us because I understand why I discipline Will. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand definitely the prodigal son a lot better and, and not necessarily my place as the father. I understand my place as the son. I also understand and see a lot more clearly how I was probably a whole lot more like the older brother in that parable than I would like to be at times. Mm-hmm. It hasn't made me softer when it comes to biblical truth, but it's definitely made me a softer preacher in terms of how I would respond to people who were in error. It's also something that helps you helps you understand the enormity of what God did, and specifically mm-hmm. our relationship to Jesus. That there's a lot of people in this world that I love, but there isn't one of them that I would give my son for. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even not even Lauren. I mean, she'd kill me if I did. Mm-hmm. If I had to make a choice between her and <laughs> Will, right. she would kill me if that You're choice right. was not Will. Right, right. There's not a single one that I'd give my son for. And what that does is it puts God's love in this unquestionable place because he did something in the name of love that I will never be able to do or even even fathom doing. I can't I can't even put myself there hypothetically. So when I'm when I'm called to go and testify as to what sin is, that I don't do it out of anger, I do it out of love because that's how God gave his son. And I do it even when it's hard because that's what faith is. And it fundamentally changes how I think about Jesus as a shepherd and how I think about God as a father when I see that I'm doing the best I can for Will. I know he loves me, but I know he's imperfect. And he needs me to show him what it means to live up to my expectations. Well, one reason you probably can't fathom sacrificing your son yet is because he's not a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You can can edit that out. (laughs) I'm leaving it. That was gold. I'm just joking. But I, I do want to I want to ask you this, Jared. I want to ask you, that you, again, this goes back to theoretical stuff, right? Sure. But, but imagine this. You say you can't fathom it, right? right? Sacrificing your son. 
but what if you were sacrificing your son to save your daughter? Now, I know you don't have a daughter, right? Yeah. But what what if that was the choice before you? And imagine this scenario is part of it where where your son was looking at you and he knew, right? He knew like, if my dad lets me go, he can save my sister. And he and he's looking at you and he says, it's okay, dad. You know, like he, he's willing to make that sacrifice so that you can save your daughter, uh-huh. right? Then I think you can begin to comprehend God's love from that perspective, right? And I And, and it's not to make, Uh, It's not to say any less of the scenario you were bringing up, which I totally understand, right? Right. And when I think of, you know, when Josh was my only son, I'd be the same way, and my wife would be the same way. She would kill me if, if, you know, I had sacrificed him for somebody else. But when you bring the other children into play, it changes changes the scenario, right? And and I think that is – I think that is – more in line with understanding the love of God. I mean, when Jesus has given his life, it's not just for some random person, right? But it is for another child of God. It is for what he calls brethren, right? He's given his life for brethren. And that's one of the things that I think fundamentally changes that relationship with Jesus about being a father is you go to pastors like mm -hmm. Romans 5, and he's saying at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He says for a righteous Mm -hmm. man, nobody's, you know, a law keeper, nobody's going to dare to die. For a good man, you a, a guy that everybody loves and has a great reputation, you might find somebody who's willing to die for him. But you want to know how much God loved you. You were sinners, and he died for the ungodly. And yeah. then you go down a little further. He says you were you were you were enemies, and he has promised you salvation and resurrection, and raised you from your sins. And, and when you stop and you grapple with that. What you see is that I guess you'd have to deepen it a little bit more than even your example. You'd have to put your daughter as somebody who just vehemently did not like you at all in that particular circumstance. And then your son saying, Dad, it's okay to let go. Right. Yeah. And when it's your own flesh and blood, I get it. Yeah. At least, the- at least like theoretically, who, I get it. Who, yeah. But, right. I mean, what gives me pause that changes my relationship with God is we're only God's, to use a, an incorrect term here, but flesh and blood. We're only God's children because he chose to make us so. That we're a creation. We're a created thing. We're clay. But he calls us to be his children. And that that's a huge thought when you stop and you think about it. And it, it yeah. shows you that God has... We are... F- we are further from God than our children will ever be from us. And what you see is that God created something so that he might show his love to that thing so that it would respond with a love that it would pro- then it would greater than it probably would be otherwise capable of. Which is why we are supposed to have children, but is not often the case, right? Right. Uh, too, too often, that's not the reason why we have children. Again, going away from God's example and God's design, and then we run into all the issues that we have in society, you know, from abortion to father abandonment to parental abandonment to parental abuse, so on and so forth, right? Because we don't have children. I mean, we have children by choice. Mm-hmm. 
right? Just like you're saying, God, God created us from nothing, right? And, and gave us life. We're but clay, right? But by the choice of God, well, that, that's why my kids are in existence. They're not in existence by their own choice. You know? <laughs> They're in existence by, by their parents. You know, we brought them into this world, right? But why do we bring them into this world? Well, we, we should have brought them into this world to, to love them, yeah. right? And to care for them and all the things that you just described. And again, that's why I, I was going back to that model in the beginning of that's how God set it up. And, and we're supposed to see it here. We should see that in our relationships here. Mm-hmm. And then be able to apply that to our relationship with God. And going back to uh, the illustration we were we were just discussing, you know, the father having to make a choice, you know, and, and you're right as far as carrying that illustration out to the next level. What if it's the daughter who, you know, she's disobedient and she's recalcitrant and she's a brat and she's a pain and she disrespects and dishonors me at every step of the way. And they're on the other side. I'm a son. Now I'm just, this is, I want everybody to know this is illustration. This is not how it is. This is not how David feels about his children. (laughs) Yeah. But what, but what if it was my son, you know, and he is completely obedient and he is, and he is, everything that I want him to be. And he honors me and he respects me and he cares for me and he loves for me, you know, loves me, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, because of that, that's one reason I feel like he could look back at me and say, dad, it's okay. Let go. Right. Uh, and at the same, but, you know, talking about your illustration, what, what would you hope would be the result if the son's let go in that case and the daughter is saved, what would you hope would be the result where you'd hope the daughter would see something that she maybe knew, always knew was there, but it never moved her to act, uh-huh. right? And now you begin to get into the heart of the gospel, right? That yes. she would honor the sacrifice of her brother. She would honor her father and love him and care for him. And, and so it, you know, yeah. begins to come full circle, yeah. right? And, and that's when you get the picture. It's when you put all those pieces together. Yeah. And that's maybe one of the reasons why you see that God is the Father, but you see Jesus being called the shepherd in the New Testament, because it's a very similar sort of role. He lays down his life for the sheep. And you would hope that when the one lays down his life, that the other will become an imitator of the good things that led to their to their survival. And that's that's what we hope for. And I think that's an excellent segue to the next question. We see mistakes that fathers make all the time, but it just seems, and you, and you mentioned some of them, that our society is a very disposable view of fatherhood. Fathers don't have to be in the homes. You can replace a father with a woman or, and, and have single mother homes, and they're just as good as a home with two parents. Or you see a lot of... Uh, that, you know, fathers being absentee, leading to abortions rather than than starting <clears throat> families and having marriages and, and really learning to love each other the way that people should. What are some mistakes that you see fathers making today, particularly fathers among the Lord's people, that you wish would change? Mistakes particularly along the lines of, of fathers and the Lord's people would be fathers desiring to be shepherds and leaders within the church. Too many dads happy and content to say, I can't do that, and so I'm never going to work towards it, never going to try. I'm just going to sit here, or maybe not even show up, right? Mm-hmm. I'll just let mom handle all that. You know, mom can be the Bible class teacher, but I'm never going to teach a Bible class. Uh, mom can take him to church, but it's not a priority for me. I mean, especially spiritual leadership 
There, there's nowhere, there's nowhere where children are neglected as much as they are spiritually. Yeah. There's a lot of neglected children physically in this world, and there's a lot of children neglected mentally in this world, and that's a terrible tragedy in and of itself, but even more are neglected spiritually. Yeah. And so I would say first and foremost, uh, fathers not taking that spiritual responsibility in the household seriously like they're supposed to. Every single that's a Christian should be aspiring to be an elder within the Lord's church. I'm talking about the service. I'm talking about aspire to the sacrifice, right? right? And so that's the model that God established. And so, you know, fathers in the church, if they're, if they're looking for how they should be or what they should be, what they should be doing, I would put that right up there at the top. Yeah. Because if, if they're pursuing that, then the other things are going to fall in place. The other major thing I would say, not just to dads who are Christians, but just dads in general, would be confusing time with money in a sense. You know, we, we have a phrase, time is money, and there's a sense in which that's true, right? But time, time to a child is actually more valuable than money. You're talking about that old chestnut uh, that I'll give them quality time, even if I can't give them quantity of time. Yeah, sometimes quality is quantity. Uh, to a child, right? quantity is always quality. Yeah, right. You, you, you may be a dad who doesn't have a lot of money. That's okay. Don't think that you're less than if you have time and you have time to give your kids, right? right. I mean, to, to a two-year-old, I mean, straight up to a two-year-old going down to the public park that is free and spending an entire day with your kid there would be more valuable to that two-year-old than taking them to Disney World for an hour. Yeah. And you would spend a thousand times more. Yeah. Maybe more than that, right, at Disney World. Well, but, you know, I think it's closer you know, to 2,000 times wise, if you're taking the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. staying for a I week. I mean, money-wise, money-wise, you know, time is more valuable there in that case. Yeah. And so – Time can replace money, but money can't really replace time. I think sometimes dads think, well, you know, I work, I work, but I'll make up for it on the vacation. Yeah. Right. And we'll get to go on vacation and have this. And and honestly, that was that's something I struggled with whenever I was younger was just the, the time aspect and and thinking you can make it up in other places. Right. Yeah. But you, you can't really you can't really make it up. You know, your kids, your kids never going to brag to other people about how much overtime you work. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, your dad made all the, all the baseball games. Oh, well, my dad worked overtime all the time. You know, my, you know, my dad's so much, so much a greater dad because he was always working, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kids are never going to brag about that. Right? You know, that's something that we adopt, um, this idea that busy is a virtue that, yeah. and, and that's something I have to watch out for. I, I preach, I write, I've got a YouTube channel, biblically speaking. I do man up that there's editing associated with all of those things, and it is very easy for me to run out of time, but I have to make sure. myself stop and yeah. and push back on deadlines and just say, I know this is when you want it, but I can't deliver it at that time. I have all of these things going on that are equally as important, and the thing that I haven't made time for in my schedule is my son, and so everything else has to stop. And yeah. he and I need to sit and play video games for a few hours because that's quality yeah. time to him. We need to beat so yeah. many levels on Kirby or we need to get out his toys and, and 
and build some Legos together at the table while we're watching a program that we both chuckle at and talking about the silly things that are going on or or run down to the park or just sit outside and watch him zip around on his electric scooter. He wants time. And when you don't give that to them, you are not showing them love because I worked to provide the vacation where I made it all up to you. What you're showing is you're not as important to me as the other obligations that I have. Yeah, and you, you, you really do have to learn one another and and how to enjoy being with one another, just like you do when you become married and, and are a spouse. You have to do the same thing with your kids. That's probably one of the things I didn't quite I, – I, well, I definitely didn't grasp whenever I was a young parent uh-huh. was that you know my son's not necessarily going to love the things that I love and care about the things that I care about, and I'm going to need to devote the time to – learn how to interact with him in a meaningful way. Cause, cause interacting with my son might be different than interacting with my daughter. Yeah. And if I'm not around them and I'm not spending that time with them, I, I don't know how to interact with them in a positive way. You know, like I'm upset cause you know, I want to toss the ball and well, they don't want to toss the ball. Maybe they want to play the video game or vice versa. Yeah. Right. And, and I say, well, that's not who I am. That's not what I like. Right. Well, okay. You know, you can you can be upset about that and you can make the time miserable and then they don't want to spend time with you or you can walk away and say, well, I'm not going to spend the time because the kid doesn't want to do what I want to do. Right. Right. But if you do that, understand what you are doing. If you do that when they're two, when they're five, when they're seven, then when they're 15, when they're 17, guess who's not going to want to spend time with you? Yeah. And guess who's not going to clue and, you into what they're doing? Yeah. It's because of what you didn't do when they were younger. It is an important principle that young parents need to understand. I need to learn how to interact with my kids. How many times have you seen dads around the kids and they're frustrated and and they don't really know what's going on or why their kid's acting this way and who they have to turn to it to explain it to them? Mom, who's been with them all day or who does know them and who has taken that time to interact with them, right? And they have to have mom explain their kid to them. And again, you know, moms have insight, so it's fine to go to them and get that insight, right? right? But we as dads need to be taking the time to learn how to connect with them in a meaningful way. And if we're just working at a job and not working and spending our time with our children, we're, it's going to set up some hardships for us later and possibly a lot of regrets. I think I think it's scary. You mentioned that your children might not be just like you. It's scary on the other side, too, because Will does want to be a carbon copy of me. Whatever I do, mm-hmm. he wants to do. That he wants. That is scary. I'm going to have to talk to that. Yeah, you, you really need to. You need to come up here and enjoy the Pacific Northwest. Let's see how the summer goes, because it might be a little warm. Might need to put an air conditioner in your room. But you need to come up here, enjoy the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, and help me straighten my kid out, because he wants to be just like me. And we'll go do some fun stuff oh, while we're up here. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Hey, Grandma lives at home, so you can bring Adriana, too. <laughs> you guys can get away and... It's it's beautiful up here. But seriously, though, he wants to be just like me. He likes the sci-fi that I like. Mm-hmm. He likes the Astros. Now, I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. allowed to say that publicly, but he, lo- he loves the Astros just like I do. That He's starting to find his own voice a little bit. Sometimes we differ on, on minor things, but mm-hmm. there's still this, I want to be like Dad. And that mm-hmm. makes me think of another trap, one of the things that I see 
Christian men doing a lot that goes sort of hand in hand with what you were talking about that that's concerning to me, and that is the idea that our children are somehow an extension of us. That I was really, I wasn't, but I was really good at baseball, so therefore my kid needs to be good at baseball. He needs to excel at this, and I'm going to try to force him into that mold so that he can he can maybe live out what I exactly what I did or maybe what I didn't get to. He's going to go to the same college that I went to. He's going to go to the same. He's going to take on the family business so that we have generational wealth and generational legacy and we become this or we become that. And what we forget to do is ever, ever build the faith across generations. What we really haven't done is left a legacy of faith for them, that, that they're great on the ball field, but what you don't see is a genuine faith that you help them form in themselves that is that exists between them and God. It is a type, and you mentioned this earlier, of spiritual neglect. And we get so worried about the grades in school and where they're, where they're ranking. We get worried about whether or not they have enough extracurricular activities to, to sort of pad their college resume. Do we worry about their connections with young people their own age that are built upon a like precious faith? Have we worried about teaching them service so that they can they can sing with a pure heart, make me a servant just like your son? Have we worried about helping them navigate the pitfalls? that we fell into so that the next generation isn't plagued by the kinds of things that other guests have talked about on this episode, things like pornography and things like sexual immorality before marriage and, and, and things that seem so natural in our culture that maybe we can be the voice of reason that says, don't go there and I'm going to help you navigate this, but I've got to, I've got to build your trust in me while you're young. You mentioned if you don't get it when they're four and five and seven and eight, you don't build that trust when they are 15, 16, 17, they are not going to go to you in those difficult situations and say, dad, a boy is pressuring me for this. If you have a daughter or a girl is pressuring me for this, they're not going to come to you in those moments because they haven't seen you as a source of godliness. Because that's not what you've emphasized. God puts more emphasis on fathers than he does mothers being the spiritual influence. But when we say, okay, well, mom doing that is enough, so I'm free to focus on the, and you can't see the air quotes here, because and preachers are really, really bad about this. I'm free to focus on other spiritual issues. Nobody else is going to be the example to bring your children to Jesus that you will be fathers. Amen to that. So let's put these next two questions together. Um, what are some lessons that you've learned from your dad that you try to emulate in your own life? And also, what are some lessons that maybe your children have taught you about being a father? Well, I just talked about uh, work and how, uh, just use an example, because a lot of times that's where uh, men place their sole importance is work and being a provider. But then when you talk about lesson I learned from my dad, I'm going to say work. Yeah. <laughs> go, go out there and work hard, but don't work so hard yeah. that you don't raise your kids. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful, buddy. And, and I think Keep it between the ditches. The best, <laughs> I, I think the best, you know, he did the best he could sure. with that. Right. 
and I, I think helped showed a good Christian balance. Balancing the Christian life. We'll plug Kenny Embry and his podcast, Balancing the oh, Christian Life. Oh, I plug life Kenny right every here. time I might get. Yeah. <laughs> that dude's amazing. Yeah. And if you haven't signed uh, up for his lectureship yet, you need to. You know, that, that balance is important in understanding that moderation. But my dad was a hard worker. And he he served not just at the job, but, you know, in every facet of his life. He was a good servant. And so I think he taught me a lot about that. Right about the joy and fulfillment that comes from serving others. Another thing I appreciate my dad for, and this is one of those things I don't feel like I've done as good as he has done, you know, but that's being fun. He was a fun, fun dad. He was a fun guy. He was a fun parent. I'm not sure I've always had as much fun or been as much fun as I should have been or should be as a dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another big thing that I learned from my dad is how he cherished my mom. Yes. Yes. You know, there was never any doubt in our household whether he loved the kids more or my mom more. <laughs> you know, that we all we all knew he loved my mom the most and, and we were all after that, right? And and I say that because in households that's not always the case. Just the way that he cherished her daily, the way that he cherished her in the small things, uh-huh. in the little things, were big lessons for me. The sweet talk, right? You know, I mean, as kids, it's like gross and all that, but yeah. <laughs> I love to gross my kids out with saying sweet things to my wife, you know? Yeah. But but above everything, I would say, thankfully, what you were just talking about, putting God first. Yeah. It was never a doubt in our household of putting God first. I've sort of just developed the phrase that I use personally, and, and I— use it a lot of times in prayers nowadays, is just, you know, learning to do God's will always and in all ways, you know, so always talking about time all the time and then in all ways, just in every in every facet, right? Not, not part of being a preacher or a shepherd or anything like that, but just as a father to my kids, I need to model that for them, putting God first. They need to see that in my choices and decisions, and then on the flip side, what lessons have your children taught you? One we kind of already talked about, and that's just free will. Part of that whole mythology of thinking that one will be a perfect parent and have all the right answers, and my <laughs> children will be perfect because I will be the perfect father. You know, yeah. That whole mythology stems from not understanding that here is a child that will have their own free will. My son taught it to me. He taught it to me early on. He was about one year old, I want to say, might not even been one year old yet. And he was supposed to be eating some food, like eating dinner, right? And it was just baby food, a little Gerber bottle type thing. And not bottle, but, you know, jar, the Gerber jar. And he was not going to eat it. You know, he's like, what, 12 pounds, you know, or 20 pounds by that time. I don't know. And I'm 200 pounds, you know. I could yell, I could scream. If he didn't want to eat it, he wasn't going to eat it. And there's nothing I could do to make him eat it. I, could, I can do about it, you know. Didn't matter um, if that was his favorite flavor yesterday. Didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And so, but it taught me about free will, right? I mean, it opened my eyes to it about here is a child who in their immaturity is going to act this way. And then, of course, that's where I say, that's where I get the lessons about my relationship to God. Then I was like, man, how many times have I been this kid? 
you know, and I've been insubordinate to God and God wanted what was best for me and trying to take care of me and I'm rejecting it. And the lesson my kid taught me about free will when he's one year old, you know, uh, has been an important lesson that stuck with me ever since. Another thing is uh, communicating with your kids. This is a weakness of mine that I've tried to get better with, with age. Kids like to know what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. as a parent, you know, a lot of things change. Life is so busy. As a parent, it's real easy for us to say, hey, you know, uh, my kids don't have to plan for anything. You know, they're kids. What are they, why do they need to know more than five seconds in advance what we're going to be doing, you know? <laughs> and, and I, I kind of had a problem with that for many years and probably still do to a degree, but I'm trying to do better about that, about sure. communicating with my kids. I'm certainly more emotional now as I've gotten older than I was whenever I was younger. Uh, younger, probably a lot more. Just yeah, David, you've become so emotional. Reasonable. I don't even know if we can and... label you toxic anymore. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> don't be a jerk. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> oh man, now I wish you guys could you see know, David right just... now. He's about four shades of red. <laughs> but you know, their uh, emotion hits you in a different way sure. because of that relationship with your kids, right? And things impact you in ways that you never really could foresee. We're all logical until our kids get involved. (laughs) Yeah. Man, I need to give you a pen. You just, you need to write some of this stuff down, sermons, a book or something. Because a lot of what you said there is is just gold. And I I wish guys would learn those lessons. I, I think about the lessons I learned from my dad. That a lot of them, and I'm not going to repeat yours because a lot of them are very similar. But one of the things I learned from my dad, and and this probably probably came about because my brothers and I were so much different, was that every kid is going to be different because of that free will. That my dad, and I've used this example in this program a lot, but it's been it's been months since I've done it. My dad was really good at one point. I don't know if he consciously did it or if it was just something that was it was just intuitive to him. But he realized at some point that he wasn't going to relate to me or rather I wasn't going to relate to him the way the other guys did and because I'm a klutz and I'm not gifted I'm strong but I'm not gifted with the level of strength that at least my other two brothers at the time had and so dad sought out ways that he and I could relate to one another on the cerebral level and we would have conversations Mm -hmm. about the bible we'd read the bible together or talk about sermons together sometimes and we would build Mm -hmm. computers together and we would we would talk about uh we we would talk about things that NASA was doing that we had read about. Just just I can I can think of a hundred different things that where Dad built that bridge, and it taught me that the love of a father is not is not just calling your child to come to you because you expect them to come. It's it's very much like the prodigal son. It's building the bridge so that they can get to you. And as the mature person. And you illustrated this perfectly. I'm not going to stomp my feet because my kid doesn't like to do the same things I do and walk away and not spend quality time with him. I'm going to show them him that his quality time that he wants me to be a part of is important if that's the bridge that makes us the father and son that I want us to be. Mm-hmm. And I think my – and there's lots of other lessons, but you've covered so many of them so well. But my child uh, from Will, I think I've learned sort of the same lesson. Uh, but one of the things he's really taught me about is grace and the times when he's gracious with me because something I said didn't work out exactly like I thought it was going to work out or the times when I've had to extend grace to him in disobedience because 
I could see that he was trying. And maybe the reason that he failed to live up to my expectation, and Bubba Garner and I were talking about this in the last episode, maybe the reason he failed to live up to my expectation is that my expectations weren't communicated clearly or they were too high or he just tried and failed. And you're not going to ever discipline your child into perfection when discipline is always punishment. Sometimes discipline needs to be grace where you show them, hey, I'm, I'm giving you something here that you don't deserve because I saw something in you that needs to be praised. And I, I've seen that a lot in him. And yeah. I feel like even though I'm not going back to your example of applied and theoretical, I'm not the perfect applied father. I feel like I'm a much better father in application than I would be if I just stuck to the theories that I had in the beginning. And it's almost always been things that I've learned from my son that when I step back, I begin to see, and you alluded to this as well, I begin to understand okay, that's what God sees in me when I'm stubborn and I'm disobedient or I'm I'm trying and I just can't get past that, that stumbling block. It's not a matter of muscle through it. It's a matter of just be patient, try to do it my way, and I'm going to help you. And now. it makes you understand that if it weren't for the grace of God, none of us are going to heaven. And that grace does not stop at baptism. I need the grace of God every single day to be the man that he wants me to be. I need him to look past my faults, the things I don't see, the things that I'm doing because I'm stupidly not thinking, or the things that I'm doing because I'm being willful at that moment, but maybe not in the next. I need him to look past those things. I need him to continue to be the father that I need to be to my son. Amen to that. I, and I'm glad you brought that up, Jerry, because that's about grace and forgiveness and especially receiving it from your kids, right? Not not giving it to your kids, yeah. which is to be expected from your position of experience and maturity. But, but kids, you know, my children forgiving me when I've needed it, how thankful I am for that, you know. You know, they're not going to end the relationship over it. They'll forgive me and then we'll move on and we'll love each other, you know. And and I've said many times publicly, both from the pulpit and personally to other people one-on-one, just, you know, my parents obviously have taught me the most in life. They're my parents, but nobody... You know, my kids are number two and it's not even close, right? I mean, right. Yeah. As far as who I've learned from and who have taught me lessons, it's my kids, my parents first, my kids second, and nobody's even close to that, right? right. So if you if you humble yourself like you should as a parent, uh, you're supposed to learn a lot from your kids and you, you should learn a lot from your kids. And I hope that people see how much value God has placed in them in that respect and what a blessing they are to us from God in that respect, not just what we give to them, but what they give to us by way of teaching us and helping us become better people. Amen. All right, guys. Unfortunately, this is when I've got to break in and tell you, you need to come back on Saturday for part two of David Osteen's podcast, and you will not want to miss it. David has given us a lot of good insight already, and it only gets better from here. I have a special plea for you guys, and I'd like you to hear me out. This information and a lot of the information that is shared by the guests that I have on this program 
it's good that you are taking it in, but it could really help the guys that are just starting out, the guys that are going off to college, the guys that are considering being fathers or have just become fathers for the first time or are considering who they need to marry. This information hitting somebody at the right time in their life might just make all the difference in their spiritual walk. Would you consider sharing this podcast with somebody who needs it the most? I'd love to see our audience grow. I'd love to invite them in and be part of the discussion in the Man Up the After Show group. And if you're not part of that group, be sure to check out our Facebook page, Man Up the Podcast. And the link is there, and I'll add you. Just a couple of programming notes to serve as a reminder. The Revelation series is still going on, and biblically speaking, and in a few weeks I'm going to start taking that channel in a whole different direction, doing some things that we haven't done with it before that I think are going to be very beneficial and are going to work in tandem with a lot of the things that we do right here on the podcast, Man Up. Also, I want to remind you that broadcast days for Man Up are now Wednesdays and Saturdays. Wednesdays and Saturdays, look for it to drop sometime around noon Pacific time. And I can't wait to see you then. And until then, have a good day, God bless, and man up. Dismissed!